Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Telegraph. Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Telegraph Revy podcast. What a weekend in Paris. We had a sort of a warm-up dish on Friday night with Argentina, not quite meeting New Zealand standard and, and suffering a heavy loss. And then what an astonishing game on Saturday night in the rain in Paris. It was really quite something to behold. I'm Ben Coles and I'm joined as ever by Charlie Morgan. Hi, Charlie. Colesy. And also by Charles Richardson. Hi, Charles. Good morning, everybody. For the first time in the tournament, we were all three of us were in the same city and we got to watch the same games. I mean, I think the less said about New Zealand Argentina, the better. But we'll obviously have to recap it. But in terms of um, in terms of Saturday night, Charlie, if I come to you first, how have you sort of reflected on on England's performance in that game? I think similarly to how we were all feeling at the time that it went felt like a felt like such an assured, uh, intelligent, tough. Super, super tough performance um, for 65 minutes, didn't it? And I think at the time as well, in the moment, you were thinking 15-6, that's a really, really good lead. But you want to be sort of more than, more than um, well, more than 10 points ahead because of try, try and a penalty. You're sort of within range and you're within... You're almost at the mercy of how much um, South Africa are going are gonna to seize control of a game with with the forwards that they've got on their bench, and and unfortunately for England, it just fell away, didn't it? But it was stirring. It was really, I think, I think the reaction from a lot of people has been that it's a performance to sort of reassure and re- and restore pride, and I think that I think that's totally fair. I think a semi final exit on the face of it, given England's draw, isn't particularly special it's almost par but I think that performance ratchets up actually how the whole tournament campaign will be viewed Charles I know you settled down with um, a nice glass of whiskey last night to watch the uh, watch the game back what did you make of it hmm. S- similar emotions and similar sort of reflections as, as Saturday really uh, it was a colossal effort better team lost um, you really felt for Steve Borthwick and his and his coaching team who had concocted and conjured this this tactical master plan um that came within a, a point or two points of um of sealing the win and, and and delivering the goods um I, I agree with Charlie I think that that performance regardless of the result I know the result 
would be seen as par when when written down on paper. I think that performance has, has done a lot to sort of convince the English rugby public that 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 Steve Borthwick has the has the capabilities to get this team back to where it should be at, at the top of the at the top of the world tree, and that um, we do have the players to compete at that level. And maybe he just needs a little bit more time. And and clearly, what is what he inherited was was not not in the best state. Um, but in in such a short period of time, he's he's brought it such a long way. And I think him, his coaching staff, and and the players deserve enormous credit. Yeah, I think that's all very fair. I think we we often have forgotten over the past year where kind of England were in in January when the coaching staff came in and and the job that they've that they've had to do really. Um, tons of coverage on the website as you'd expect from that game. Keep an eye out for Charlie having a look at some of the players who should come into the England squad because you know squad selection never sleeps. We're always wondering about who's next and, and what's going to happen with the side and also the latest in this. This incident between Tom Curry and Bongi and Banambi, which seems to be changing almost by uh, by every couple of hours. So there's plenty, plenty for you to look out for on the website. But for now, let's dig in more into the game and find out how South Africa squeaked into another World Cup final. Oh, it was really tough for England, wasn't it? Um, having just started so well. Ch- Charlie, if I come to you first, uh, there was loads to like about that start. What was it in particular which you you were really impressed by? Well, that's a good question because it was it was multifaceted as well. Um, and as we've always said, where, where Steve Borthwick is at his best or where Steve Borthwick teams are at his best more accurately is when those different facets of a performance marry up. And I think England finally got there with with that, albeit they would have liked to have been, you know, despite the conditions, they might feel that they could have been a little bit more clinical moving the ball and, and just finishing off a couple of sl- try scoring chances, maybe better field position would, would be would be sort of more fair to would be fairer to say. Most most impressive for me was just how they withstood South Africa's maul. They almost nullified totally South Africa's maul. That was a fantastic, fantastic battle. And then a couple of times, South Africa ran a really clever lineup move where they went over 15 metres and went back inside to Kirtley Arenza and, and Alex Mitchell was alert enough to make a fantastic tap tackle. You saw physicality from Elliot Daly with... Um, on the back of... So Laws swoop, swoops for a turnover, doesn't he, on the back of that. Alex Mitchell tap tackle... Um, Alex Mitchell was fantastic with his control, his kicking. He then, at that stage of the game, he then lifts a, a box kick for Elliot Daly to absolutely smoke Dwayne Vermeulen. Um, other, other, we could go on about other aspects of it. Selection, I think, went really well. Um, we'll talk maybe about the timing of the replacements and the ordering of that team, but I don't think much more could have been done um, as far as preparing the side. Um, so yeah, there's there's a few things, a few things to go at there, but I just think I think. Over the overarching feeling was just how assured they were and how much conviction there was in that plan, and you don't get to fifteen six up against the world champions without that. There was no, it wasn't that it was a lucky performance. It was that so much of their preparation had come off. All the defining moments of that first half. I mean, you've touched on one there, daily smoking for Moulin, but they were all, I think, all except for the. Um, break by Kurtley Lorenzo. They were all on the English side. You think of George Martin. Um, you think of the, the Laws turnovers, and well, then it, it just in, just into the second half, the Farrell drop goal. All the big defining moments of the match all seemed, and the Mall disruption in the first half as well that was so key um, 
it all, it all seemed to be the stars seemed to be aligning for England. But um, yeah, that bench that we'll chat about sooner it just just killed them, didn't it? I think it was for me. If I had to pick one, it was probably the, just how um, accurate England's kicking game was off both nine and ten. But but more to that, how the chasers actually were so effective at getting the ball back. We we were bemoaning in the warm ups, weren't we? How England were kind of just sending up kicks and never really seemed to be in a position to actually slap the ball back or actually compete in the air. But they did that so well. I mean, it was conditions that <clears throat> conditions they were praying for. I think is a fair thing to say. Like when they spoke about how. The conditions basically dictated their game plan and it just so happens that that is their preferred kind of game plan and, and the way that they want to attack teams and it all fell into their lap in that regard. And, and and you know, but they actually executed that kicking game so well that I was just very impressed by that. Um, I wonder if you had to rank where England's performance kind of sits. They had some good wins in Australia. Um, is it their best win though? Since that semi final in twenty nineteen, would you say, Charles? Well, they they lost. Best performance, I should say. No, <laughs> not their best win. Their best moral um, win. Yes, I think it's up there with South Africa. Um, the South Africa win in the autumn of twenty twenty one. Australian, I don't think quite the same beast as South Africa. Although that Test series win was exceptional. Uh, I'd say yes. I'd say yes, simply because for 60, 65 minutes, they were virtually flawless. Um, and I don't think an England team has put that sort of str- that sort of an immaculate stretch together um, uh, over the, in, the, in the past four years in, in such a sort of consistent short burst. Well, we've seen it in bursts, seen it in bursts, but to have such a long stretch, to have an hour stretch was... Um, it wasn't enough in the end, of course, and 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 um, I'm sure Steve Borthwick and his coaches will be leave, leading a, a, a post mortem of that final twenty minutes um, and what happened. But the, the the first hour was immensely encouraging. Speaking of Steve Borthwick, we've got a bit of audio from him now, just from post match, just talking about the the preparation of having to cram everything into a few months as opposed to having um, a four year cycle. So here's that audio now. As for the, the game plan tonight, as for how we've come as a team, you're, you're, we're playing against a team there that's had a coaching team that's been in place since the middle of 2018. They had 18 months to the World Cup and one, did an incredible achievement to win the 2019 World Cup and has had four years since then of continuous development, bringing players through and the coaching team has been really, really consistent. For us, we've had four months as a coaching team with, these, with the players and the I've asked the players to approach training in a different way. I've asked them to approach the way we think about the game in a different way. And um, for, to ask them to do that and the players to be willing to change, I think that's all credit to them. Because they have been willing to change. They have been willing to try some different things. And tonight was another example of that. And um, I'm really grateful to them for the attitude they bring every day. Just off the back of that, I, I think we have to talk about um, the scrum and just how well how well that went for South Africa and how disastrously it went for England in the second half. Oxenshire came on against France and was was absolutely brutal with the way that he took um, Dorian Adegari apart, wasn't he? And he he repeated the trick for the second time, second time in a week against um against first Dan Cole, who had scrummaged well up to that point, but then also also um, Carl Sinclair and Carl Sinclair came on. It, it's kind of 
I like that Oxenche has a personal motto that salads don't win scrums, and he certainly seemed to absolutely relish, get it, relish the opportunity right there. <laughs> Charlie, it, that's going to be a bit of a concern long term, do we think, given the prop resources available to England and who's kind of coming through? Yeah, cold hard facts of it. That's two two World Cup campaigns that have finished with a um, with a kind of uh, with the scrum being a area that's harmed them and and uh, then has, and 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 has leaked penalties at vital points. I actually got just I can't even remember now whether it was before the tournament or during the tournament. But at one point um, in the last couple of months, I went down to um, I, I sorry I had a call with um, a couple of the England age group coaches. About their um, about this Type Five camp that they're running, they're bringing in the most promising players um, in uh, sort of the most promising props hookers locks to really solidify that area of the game. And it was really interesting to hear them talk about how it was. I, I asked specifically, is this a, is this a reaction to what the talent that's coming through to senior level and how that's getting ready um, through through Premiership games and then and sort of being at what point is it? available to national coaches and they were saying no it wasn't it was it's more a more a reaction to how age group coaching has gone and how there was a dictatorial sort of side of coaching and that's evolved into that evolved into sort of a lot of small-sided games and then they were just wondering whether those small-sided games were really getting the most out of these or sorry developing these set piece skills in the best way possible so the RFU are on it um if you think of sort of Who's around in the in the piece you mentioned earlier, Colsey? I've mentioned Joe Hayes, twenty four years old, already one hundred and twenty five first team games for Leicester Tigers, which is absolutely mad. Um, there's uh, on the loose head side, Thin Baxter at Harlequins is just is just one guy. Obviously, in those two cases, Hayes and Hayes and Baxter, they've they're being mentored by Dan Cole and, and Joe Marler at, at club level for the foreseeable future. So that's a huge boost, and England have got to make the most of those networks. Maybe something that um, is being overlooked in all of this, and which shout out to Charles, he mentioned bang bang on at the time, was that England got pushed off. Um, they didn't concede a penalty, but they got pushed, pushed off a scrum as Inche arrived in the 52nd minute, 53rd minute, something like that. Didn't concede a penalty, though. And at that point, George Martin went off and he'd been scrummaging behind Dan Cole. And obviously, big old boy was seriously impressive um, and kind of glad that we gave him the big raps on the, on the, in the preview pod. He sort of delivered on that, didn't he? Um, but that was, a, that was another factor. So it's the whole type five and that just goes to show, doesn't it? Um, You've just got to you've just got to be stable in that in that um, in that area the whole the whole time. England weren't stable at the beginning of the 2019 World Cup final, and and they paid for it. They weren't stable at the end of the 2023 World Cup semi final, and they paid for it again. What what I can't quite comprehend is Ellis Genge and Carl Sinclair are good scrummages. I think I've, I've seen a lot this week of throwing them under the bus and saying they're not technically good and technically sound scrummages. They are, so I'm not sure if it just was. Maybe Genge has not come off the bench very often in this tournament, and that's a slightly different sort of frame of mind you've got to be in to scrummage, and maybe that went against him a little bit. I'm not sure because his scrummaging has improved so, so much. Like when whenever England have played Ireland over the past couple of years, he's really had furlong on the ropes. And you think of that that game in the 2022 Six Nations where Charlie Ewells was sent off, England sort of had a, a seven plus one pack almost, and... Um, 
and he, he really had he really had furlong on the ropes so he's not a bad scrimmager but he did get it wrong last week and he was under a lot of pressure from from vincent cock who's not as good a scrimmager as as, as franz malherber so um i don't know i mean I, th- I still think that that final penalty that decided the game was incredibly harsh um uh especially as a as a, as a match defining match deciding um, decision, but there were a couple of others that were absolute stonewall bankers. So England can't really have too many complaints um, about the final penalty when that was the way that the wind was blowing. Anyway, I think in 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 ideal circumstances, Ben O'Keefe would have reset, and then it probably would have ended up with a South Africa penalty anyway. So there's not really many complaints that England can have. Um, uh, but yeah, I just found that Sinclair got incredibly long-legged. I don't know if Oxen Che, if that was due to how short Oxen Che is and the angle that he was going in on. But um, yeah, it was. It, it seemed completely different to to the scrimmaging picture that that Joe Marler and Dan Cole were were, were painting earlier in the game. You, you mentioned the way the way the wind was blowing there, Charles. That, isn't that the key of it? That it's it was sort of a narrative that was just going towards a quite inevitable conclusion. Um, they, they'd forced the penalty even before they repeated the trick of they had two they had two marks didn't they and the first one they they really weighed up South Africa really weighed up calling for the scrum again and the second one they did and England sort of locked it out but you just felt that there was another and sort of another kind of dominant um, dominant shove in them and that's the whole kind of that's what and you, and. The reverse was happening at the beginning of the game because Cole and Marla were painting these good pictures and setting the narrative that, no, we're always legal, we're strong under this. And you wonder whether that 52nd minute scrum actually with Cole still on the field was the one that changed things. And although, as we said, England didn't actually infringe at that, that set the tone of, right, okay, the back end of this game is only going one way. And that's, you know, as we keep saying, referees are human. That's, that's sort of the way these momentum swings work. I think the one that was incredibly unfair was the was the, the that one on the line where 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 Farrell had put the kick through, Kurtley Arenza had spilled, and at that point that felt like another key moment in the game. In fact, yeah. at that point, I thought that I thought that England were going to push on from there and win. Um, maybe not score a try, but I thought Farrell might drop another th- drop another three points. Um, and then that one did seem unfair because because Sinclair did st- stay very very straight. He went backwards, and that's not. That's not a penalty. Going backwards at a scrum is not a penalisable offence. And he stayed very straight, and then just went again, quite straight. And I thought, I thought that that was incredibly harsh, and that felt again like a turning point in the game. And also, just just linked to this, what a cruel twist of fate that the that the match winning three points came from a, a shanked Freddie Stewart, Gary Owen, and and spill um, that led to the scrum with the penalty when he was exquisite all game, magnificent all game. His first error came in the 77th, 78th minute and it, and it uh, cost is, is probably a little bit too strong, but it certainly led to the, the, the match winning penalty, which was just incredibly cruel. Yeah, you're right. It was brilliant. Um, the, the one, when I went back through the scrum sort of in the, in the early hours on Sunday morning, there's, there's one that, and Che wins penalty where England don't even protest. They, they, they just literally trot away. And I think that probably said more than anything, just how under the cosh they were in, in, in certain areas. They kind of, they, they were quite happy to just get to the next bit of phase play because they knew they were under the pump. Um, in terms of the latest with Tom Curry and, and Bongi and Benambi, uh, so to recap for, for anyone who's playing catch up, although you'll have done well to have missed it the last couple of days. Tom Curry went over to the referee Ben O'Keefe in the first half and, and said that he'd been called something by Bongi Mbanambi and asked what he was meant to do. Um, 
the kind of raffling audio of that came out Sunday morning. South Africa were asked about it um, in their Sunday morning press conference, and and Dion Davis, the assistant coach, said he wasn't aware of it. Um, the story then came out with the audio from the ref link. World Rugby are now investigating. South Africa have released a statement as well, saying that they were they were chatting to Bonkin Benambi about it. And the latest kind of twist is sort of a, whether the moment and what Benambi said has been lost in translation a bit between what Tom Curry thought he heard and the Afrikaans between Bonkin and Benambi might have said. Um, Charles, this is a story which isn't quite yet over and it, and it does seem feasible that Bongi Malambi might have been talking in Afrikaans but but there's obviously huge sort of potential repercussions if he was to get suspended given he's the only hooker in the squad isn't he? Yeah so that, and they would not be able to call up a replacement because you can't call up a replacement for a player that's been banned so it would be Dion Fouri starting it at two with Marco Van Staden on the bench you'd expect um the, the linguistic basic basis of the defense I've no doubt I've no doubt about um uh, but we know the subtext here is we know there is history between these two players from that game in 2022 at Twickenham we know that um Bongi and Benambi didn't shake Tom Curry's hand after the game um and I don't think, it, correct me if I'm wrong here, but I don't think that Bungi and Benambi would have been aware of Tom Curry's complaint to Ben O'Keefe at the time because it happened away from away from the South Africa players. So he might he he might not have been aware of that complaint at the time. And then so, I, I, to be honest, it's it's a shame that we're having to talk about this, and it's a shame that that that, that the match has been sort of almost tainted by this. What was a fantastic game and a fantastic England performance? I don't think we will ever truly discover the truth. I think there's probably one, maybe two people who know exactly what went on. And so therefore, I think it might be all a bit of an exercise in futility, really. I know World Rugby are investigating, but I can't imagine them finding anything particularly conclusive. Is is the greatest scandal from that game not actually that you changed your prediction right before kickoff, saying that South Africa were going to win? Having said oh my goodness, that, yeah. Um, that England were going to win. I mean, let's talk about that for a second, shall we? Well, yeah. So on the on the podcast special last week, I I, I sort of had felt a, l- a lot more confident about an England victory, and then just before kickoff, I I said South Africa narrowly. In my defence, all I would say is uh, Steve Borthwick's tactical masterclass also completely mirrored Charles Richardson's tactical masterclass because last Monday I wrote a piece on the Telegraph website that was uh, ripped to shreds uh, by our commenters and subscribers on how England could get into South Africa, and it. Uh, basically revolved around starting Joe Marler, starting Freddie Stewart uh, and kicking the leather off everything and letting Elliot Daly and Johnny May, uh, who are taller than Kurt Lorenz and Cheslin Colby, win everything back and exploit South Africa aerially. And lo and behold, that is exactly what happened. Uh, But of course, we didn't win. So actually, I didn't quite have enough. Yeah, and my, and my preview offering was how Danny Kerr should start over Alex Mitchell, and that was absolutely the opposite. Um, that was horrific. I'm happy to um, hold up my hands, but in my defence, that was, I would say, by a long way, Alex Mitchell's most assured performance. Certainly, in a kicking, from a kicking point of view, he was absolutely fantastic. So much precision, so much calm at the base of those rucks, and actually, shout out of a moment that I'd totally forgotten at, at half time was there about. Four seconds left before before the end of the half, and he took the ball away and sort of scurried, sort of sidewinding towards his own dead ball line, and, and kicked it out on the on the nose of forty minutes. I've seen and uh, Roman Antimac do that, 
and thought oh, that's one of the coolest things I've I've seen. And then for Alex Mitchell to replicate it was um, icy, very cool. Reinach was breathing breathing down his neck, wasn't he? The, the only other thing I would say is that I said that it should be Ford Farrell, and I think in hindsight, with how little action there was in the midfield and how often England kicked, I, I, I do. Sorry, I do think that might have been a mistake to not go to not go forward. Farrell, maybe maybe with Manu at thirteen. I mean, South Africa. I don't, Jesse Creel didn't touch the ball once, so the argument of uh, of defence is not quite as um, is not quite as sound as as usual. Uh, I do think maybe it sh- if you were, if 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 there was going to be that much kicking from both sides, then I think maybe Ford Farrell could have been could have been the way to go. But it should have, would have, could have, and it's difficult to be critical because of just what um, uh, the, the sort of gargantuan size of the effort. Are you saying that you didn't take the under on overall centre touches at four and a half? Because I, I, I certainly did. I mean, <laughs> look at the look at the weather. Look well, at the what, weather. About the, what about the? I mean, it's a. It's a terrible weekend for the bookies because they had South Africa by 13. What were they all thinking yeah. at 15-6? Yeah, no, that's very true. Listen, South Africa are through to the final. They're going to face New Zealand. And New Zealand got there actually playing some very, very nice rugby just in a bit of a dull game. So let's talk about that next. Right, Friday night in Paris. From the moment we got to the stadium, I think it's fair to say it all felt um, a little bit different to the Ireland, New Zealand, France, Africa quarterfinals from the weekend before, which was sort of what we feared. And then Argentina started actually quite lively, didn't they? And then and then Charles, Charles, it all it all kind of went wrong, and and it turned into the Will Jordan New Zealand are going to run your socks off show, and and that was fun, wasn't it? But it just wasn't the best game. It unraveled, didn't it? I mean, I think there's a good comparison to be made here. I think people who who say that, you know, who try and sort of play down England's performance a bit um, and say that, oh, you know, South Africa would have been emotionally and physically shattered after that victory against against France. So the fact that England didn't even win against a team that were that, were that much on the ropes, you know, should go down as a, as a black mark, really, and a bit of a failure. But then, you know, I, I would put it to them that, the night before, New Zealand were in exactly the same position. Okay, they'd had one day extra to recover, but they were in exactly the same position um, against, uh, you know, they'd they'd beaten Ireland in a similarly titanic match a week before, uh, and they were coming up against Argentina, who really had nothing to lose. Uh, and the embarrassment for New Zealand in losing to Argentina in comparison with South Africa to England would have been far greater, so there was far more fresh pressure. Argentina gave it a good go for 10 minutes, and then that was that. Um, also, Colsey, in the intro, you, re- you referred to this as a warm-up dish. Uh, was is that a sort of starter or a mousse bouche? What, what, what sort of what sort of warm-up dish were we uh, were we talking let, about on a, on on, let's on Saturday go, night, on Friday night? Sorry, let's get let's go a mousse bouche. I'm glad you also mixed up the days there because I couldn't get yeah. my head around that the England Safka game was on a Saturday, not Sunday. Um, yeah, yeah, the mousse bouche, <laughs> mousse bouche. I, I I I I'm trying to think what I was really right. expecting that game to be. But I think we always thought New Zealand were going to win by about 15, 20 points. So actually we just got a little bit more than we than we hoped for. Um, Charlie, in terms of the All Blacks, Ian Foster's clearly um, the best coach in the world. Always said it, um, definitely said it last summer. Uh, look at them now in the final in South Africa. They were very impressive, weren't they? I mean, they're great fun to watch when everything clicks in the back line. 
Yeah, and the, and the players that the players that Ian Foster sort of brought in to reinvigor, reinvigorate them after that Ireland series loss. Shannon Frizzell, Jordy Barra, Ethan De Groot, Tyrell Lomax, all really really good, weren't they? And yeah, they it was it was odd. It was it was it, we were like we were like three Saracens, weren't we? Turning up to the game, trying to trying to kind of build our own energy because it was flat. You're right, um, and yeah, the. As you mentioned, Charles Argentina started 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 well with that kind of long period of possession, and then Santiago Carreras kicked quite an odd grubber that didn't go anywhere inside the twenty two, um, and then from there it looked it looked like New Zealand flipped a switch as far as going right. We can the conditions are are not great, but good enough for us to um, good enough for us to spread the ball and hurt Argentina out wide because we've got the confidence and our skills to do so. Jordi Barrett mentioned afterwards, actually, he said, actually, with it being wet, we felt with our skills being superior, we could pressurise them and actually we still backed ourselves. Really interesting on the emotional come down for New Zealand after Ireland, um, Aaron Smith was emotional himself afterwards saying, he was he was just saying, look, the, the four years ago when we lost in the semi to, to England, that was that was rock bottom for me. It was, it was devastating. And that's what has driven me on to this point and actually had, I think driven the all blacks all week knowing that they previously smashed Ireland in a, in a, well, they obviously didn't smash them this time, but they, in 2019, they smashed Ireland and then, and then just didn't weren't at the same pitch the next week. Um, so there was that, there was that added incentive incentive and that added desire from them. And, um, they were, they were plenty good. I know, I know, Angus Gardner's copped some cop some stick for some um, some breakdown sort of interpretations, and afterwards we had. I don't want to overstate this, but one of the moments of the tournament where Michael Checo was explaining <laughs> these breakdown interpretations in in Spanish and broke out of Spanish to say that's the game, brother, and that I haven't stopped thinking about that since, to be honest. And by the end, by the end, New Zealand New Zealand were throwing away were throwing away tries for fun. Moanga not passing to Will Jordan, where he could have broke the try-scoring record. I mean, it was it, it, by the by the by that second half. By the time, um, but by, by the time Aaron Smith scored that try just after halftime, that was the Argentina's goose was cooked. The game was gone, and it just became a almost. You don't you, you don't really want to say this, and, and no disrespect to Argentina, but it almost became a bit of a training ground exercise by the second half because the game was the game was so far from them that they're, they're not a team that are gonna chase down a, a, a sizable lead against the All Blacks Argentina. They needed to be always in touch, always in touch, if maybe not if always leading. There was a bit that big moment that we discussed after the game in, in the aftermath um, where Argentina chose to kick the three, um, where they had a, a penalty that they could have kicked a touch and when they were, Charles, when they were already trainer, trailing. You're underselling this. You you couldn't stop telling anyone who would listen on the metro about this moment on the way back to our to yeah. where we were staying. You, it was it uh, almost made uh, you explode. Yeah, I, I felt I felt at the time when you were trailing. I can't remember how many points they were trailing by at the time, but I think it might have been six, maybe nine points in the first half. Um, they had a penalty that they decided to kick for goal when they'd had a period of pressure in the New Zealand twenty-two. Uh, and I felt like that was the moment where they should have kicked to the corner, five metre line out and tried to, their more was good, Argentina's more was good and they should have tried to 
that was the time they had to score a try there. They had to get some points on the board and I just didn't feel like chipping away with three points was going to be enough for Argentina against this New Zealand team. They were going to have to score a try at some point and that felt like a big moment. Once they kicked that three, New Zealand went down the other end and and, and then from there on, it was all one-way traffic. It was a procession, really. Just to wrap up this um, this section before we, before we do a bit of a deeper dive into the final, um, just a quick yes-no. Does Will Jordan break the Rugby World Cup try scoring record, which he's currently tied on with eight with Joan Lomu, Julian Surveyor and Brian Habana? Will he get the one against South Africa that he needs in the final? Charlie, yes or no? Yes, for Richie Mwanga's sake. <laughs> Charles? I'm going to go yes. And an interesting stat that I was um, handed yesterday by by a friend of mine is that if he does do it, he will be the only one of that group to have scored in the final. Ooh, that's quite good. Um, I'm going to go no. The weather in Paris isn't very good and it might be the same as last week. Kicking glory. Right, let's do a bit more analysis on the final next. Okay, South Africa went back-to-back finals. Um, but are, are New Zealand maybe the favourites? Um, Charlie, if I come to you first, based on what they've done the last couple of weeks? Yes, I think so. I haven't looked at what the bookies are saying. I don't know if they are, are genuine favourites, but I would have I would have uh, New Zealand as favourites. I think that they will win. I think that the last two weekends will have taken so much out of South Africa. I think it's a massive, massive ask for them to go again against that calibre of opposition. Um, and New Zealand have been just building very, very steadily. If you think about their Nadir, their rock bottom was that warm-up against South Africa at Twickenham, where they were obliterated, their heaviest ever loss to South Africa. Um, and since then, it's just been steady improvement after steady improvement. Even in that the France game, I know they lost, but for 40, 50 minutes, they were they arguably the better side and looked like they were going to go on and win. And then since then, it's just been onward, upwards and onwards and that de- demolition of Italy, um, that you know miraculous victory really against Ireland where they were phenomenal. Um, and then they've had an extra day's rest heading into the final. They haven't, they didn't play as strenuous a test against in their semi-final on Friday night as as South Africa did on on Saturday against England. Uh, yeah, I think they have to be favourites. I think that they will cope. They will cope better with the bomb squad and South Africa's physicality as well. It, I guess if there's one area that might worry you slightly, if you're an All Blacks fan, it, it's going to be the scrum and just whether New Zealand's props can sort of handle what South Africa have been dishing out over the last couple of weeks. I mean, I don't love the idea of, if I'm an All Blacks fan, of, of Ox and Che against Fletcher Newell in the, in the second half late on in Paris. That feels like a, a scrum mismatch and maybe that'll, um, maybe that'll force Foster's hand and maybe, maybe he might go in another way and have Ofa Tunga Fassi on the bench instead. I, I think that's going to be where, that's going to be where South Africa hope that they can, they can make some ground. I don't necessarily think it will happen um, on Tamiati Williams' side up against kind of Francois Herber and Vincent Cock because I think he's quite a good scrummager. But but yeah, I, I, the the Fletcher all potential matchup does worry me slightly. Where New Zealand can 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 sort of take hope is that England really should by the time. Ox and, and, and Vincent Cock came on and, and started doing their thing. England should have really have been further in front from, from the dominance that they had and, and, and the way that the game had gone. New Zealand will be probably saying the same in that 
we, we could go out and blow them away first half, a bit like England did, blow them away in the start of the second half. And the game could be gone by the time by the time the, the bomb squad comes on. And really, with England, you're looking at one more penalty, one more drop goal. Um, and that probably would have been the case in the semi-final as well. So I think New Zealand will think will fancy themselves as a better side than England. They could come out, the, the, the box play, quite a limited conservative game plan, although they do move the ball wider. You, you know, normally now they didn't last weekend. Um, and I think they, they'd back themselves to sting them and, and make, and take, you know, n- sort of n- neutralize the threat of, of, of that bomb squad in the, in that way, rather than addressing it directly. Yeah. Charlie, what are Tafka going to do uh, with there's some selection decisions they kind of need to make, don't they? Because they hooked Manny Libic on 31 minutes. Damien Willemser was off pretty early in the in the second half. It just felt like they weren't they didn't have any control of the of the kicking game and that they were making basic errors. Would you start Pollard and and um, and the current uh, crowd favourite in England, Vili Larue, after his antics at the final whistle? Would you start both of them? I'd definitely start Fafter Clerk. I'm not sure the other two. The other two, I'm not sure. Dami, it really, really interestingly, Damian Valenza. The last time he he looked that ruffled in a game was was when New Zealand um, completely well. Well, New Zealand sort of delivered the template on how to play against South Africa in in Auckland in July by kicking a lot off ten, um, finding Valenza, isolating isolating Valenza and Mapimpi and and those guys in the back in the back three and and winning the scraps because where they are, Charles kind of hinted at it there. Where they are, where they have another dimension to to England is they they can probably be just as accurate with and just as kind of teasing with that kicking game with Moanga and Bowden Barrett and Geordie Barrett. Um, but what they have off the back of that is when they are winning those loose balls back, they'll have the confidence and the ability to spread the ball to space off the back of that and score tries rather than just rely on going three three three. So it's it's they're they're a huge they're a huge. Um, I thought I thought De Klerk actually I spoke to him afterwards and said what was your what were the specifics behind your role and he said which really kind of surprised me. He said body language because actually. And they, it was really funny. They, if you picked up after the game, they were desperate to sort of to sort of give the impression that self belief had never wavered. But Fafter Clerk sort of admitted, yeah, uh, self belief was sort of in danger of. It's not all okay, always the case, but in danger of wavering a little bit. And you're like, yeah, I, that seems to be the case. He was very calm. I think I would start Pollard yet yeah, um, because going going three six nine for South Africa is going to be very important. Larue. Jury's out. Still, still, still unsure. I think Valenza, Valenza gives you that little bit. He's, he's, he's still got spark there, um, and I think maybe in harness with Pollard, that might, that might still be valuable. But I think, I think Valenza was disastrous in that rain. Like he was absolutely all over the shop. I don't, I don't think, I don't think they can take that risk again. I, I think I'd, I'd start Larue definitely. I think Valenza, England completely rattled him. He looked absolutely all over the shop. I thought he was. Sorry, I think I thought he was the worst player on the pitch, frankly. And I thought I thought I was I was surprised that they didn't hook him at the same time as as Libuk and bring Pollard and Larue on together because I think they were both. I think I think to be honest, I think I think Vilamsa looked more lost than 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 Libuk, But I know obviously fly half is more of a sort of integral position, so I can understand why they did it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I, I think there's a chance that Visa comes back in. 
that Daspavisa comes back in just for a bit more physicality. He hasn't played the last two matches, so he'll be fresh and raring to go. And they did look they did look a bit overawed and overwhelmed physically, South Africa, didn't they? And that's one thing that Visa brings you. He potentially isn't as much of a um, sort of cerebral rugby player as uh, as Dwayne Vermeulen, but he, he brings that sort of visceral edge that you that you perhaps want in a one-off game like this. I can't see them going unchanged again. I think that they might see that as a bit of a, you know, that they've got away with one there. They've got out of jail free. I think that, that might have been a mistake going unchanged between France and England. I think that's a good point. I'd be up for Vili starting, if only to keep himself in the mix for player of the tournament and justify my prediction, which um, looks like a bit of a damp squib at the minute, sure. Oh, well, I, you say that, Charlie, but I was actually going to big you up a bit because you're the you're the only person left in the game for um, World Cup winner and player of the tournament. I mean, the Vili scores about four <laughs> tries and he's named player of the match. And I mean, you might walk home with the, uh, with the whole back. So congratulations in a way. Um, yeah, that would be that would be quite something. Um, we've got to mention Wayne Barnes actually, who we can now confirm officially after Charlie broke the story on Sunday is going to be the referee for the World Cup final, first time in his career. Pro- are, we, are we thinking he probably would have been, or maybe would have been four years ago, had England not shot New Zealand and got to the final? But and we was because we were sort of laughing about the prospect of this kind of England team who've, who've had to sort themselves out in a hurry squeaking into the final and potentially denying Barnes another shot at the big game. But he, but that's not going to happen. He's there and he's going to get it, which feels like a, a justified reward for a, a very fine referee, doesn't it, Charles? Uh, absolutely. It seems mad that he was refereeing a quarterfinal in 2007 and now in 2023, 16 years on, this is his first final. But yeah, no, really well-deserved. You know, I, I, w- I will be honest, I thought that maybe um, in the COVID years... Uh, 2020, sort of maybe even 2019, 2021, he wasn't refereeing at his at his, his best level. Uh, I, I don't think he. W- I thought he dropped off a little bit for whatever reason. I'm sure there's I'm sure there's extenuating and mitigating reasons for it, and it's not a it's not a criticism of him. But I just think that others had uh, had overtaken him a little bit. But now, absolutely not. I think that he is undisputably um, the best referee in the world, and it's it, it, and he gets his just desserts for that. Charlie, what's it like on the uh, on the referee beat? Trying to get those stories, are they, you know, is it hard times? Is there lots of kind of having to work your sources hard? Talk to us. Always, always. Um, no, the, the, to, to kind of return to two thousand nineteen, that was the way the wind was blowing, wasn't it? And I agree. I, I just, I just think now, and maybe Charles makes a point about his little dip from Barnes but I think now certainly at this tournament he's just and and maybe the the sort of 18 months previously he's just seemed in real command of really big chaotic games between sides that are so evenly matched and that's what you want from that it's a I didn't um, it it was almost a shame that the game the the second semi-final ended on a on a scrummaging call because actually I thought that the way the game panned out it, it it was sort of a sort of a fair result in the end, and a, and a kind of reward for South Africa making those decisive changes. So it's a shame that Ben O'Keefe became the kind of talking point again. And I just, I just find that so boring um, that you know that the, the adults are watching a game and then sort of complaining about the ref as the first sort of reaction and just find it bizarre. But um, he was pretty good, to be fair. I yeah, in, in the game yeah, as a whole, I think he was pretty good. Yeah, and, and Angus, Gard- Angus Gardner 
penalised Argentina a lot um, in the first half against New Zealand. But guess what? New Zealand put them under a hell of a lot of pressure in, in all sorts of facets of the game. So that felt, um, you know, it didn't feel, feel disastrous either. Um, I just think with Barnes, he he has the kind of, he is, he's almost like he's so comfortable in his own skin now that um, he's willing to kind of ride ride and, and, and adapt on the hoof to these huge games, as I, that, as I say, are, are so tight and just decided by tiny margins themselves without him having to be a factor that I think it's just a fantastic choice and, and entirely well-deserved. Certainly always quite fun to listen to over the uh, the Ref Talk app, isn't he? Old, old Wayne, he's, he's an excellent communicator with players. Um, I don't think anybody that we know sort of picked this final pre-tournament in New Zealand South Africa, which seems quite odd given their their pedigree at the tournament and and how often they've, they've both won the competition and reached the final. But but it is New Zealand South Africa and I wonder who's going to be the one that kind of breaks the, if we start thinking about predictions and getting into that, who's going to be the team, who's the first to win a fourth Rugby World Cup? I like I like that that is kind of the, that is on the line as well for whoever wins this. Charles, if I come to you first, how do you sort of see the game panning out and, and who do you who do you think will win? And who do you want to win to add a bit of spice to it? I think it'll be cagey and tight for uh, sort of 50 minutes and then I think New Zealand will run away with it. But relatively speaking, I think they'll finish sort of seven to ten point winners with South Africa running out of steam after giving it after giving it a really good after giving it a really good lash. Um who do I want to win? Uh I don't really mind. I don't really mind. I just want to see a good game. I think that there've been plenty of plenty of valid criticisms leveled at this tournament. Um some preventable, some uh unavoidable. Um and I think it needs a, a really spectacular final to just send it off with a bit of momentum for the next four years. So if we could have just a, a cracking game, New Zealand and South Africa, that would be great. Thanks very much. Will you be like Ian Foster with your popcorn, just watching, not caring who wins? I will be. I will be. I will be. I'll have my popcorn and I'll have my feet up and I won't care who wins. Perfect. Charlie, you're going to be there. What are you What are you hoping for from this, from this final this week? I'm going to be there. So my trotters won't be up. The, uh, there isn't enough, you know. The, the desks are too, too, too cramped. Um, I, what am I hoping for? I, I hope that it's, I hope that whoever wins deserves it and is and is good enough on the day to sort of justify that. I think New Zealand will. Ha- I think I'm the opposite to Charles actually. I think New Zealand will have to start strongly as they did in in Auckland in July, um, and put a bit of put a bit of um, space between them and make sure that South Africa don't have a lead and are able to squeeze. Um, I just, I just think, yeah, the 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 big cliche is the the stars make fights, and and they're what makes these two nations have such a compelling rivalry is that they sort of view the game in different ways, and that to beat them, to beat New Zealand, South Africa, or often have to pull something out of the bag as far as ball movement and and slick attack, and to to beat South Africa, New Zealand have to st- stand up in the in the tight exchanges. So, I, hoping for another one of them. It's meant to be raining all week in Paris and then and then also on the day of the game as well so that could that could play a part although as, as we've said all along New Zealand's skill has they played Namibia in an absolute monsoon didn't they in Toulouse and, and looked pretty slick and again it was pretty greasy um, 
in the in the Argentina game. Um, I have backed yeah, I've backed South Africa the whole way. I can't can't change horses now, but I think South so I think New Zealand are coming on coming on really strong. Oh, and just to say, I, I I didn't have this. I didn't have this as a final, but I had France, New Zealand, so I was fifty percent correct. If if we're counting, I don't think we are counting fifty percent correct final predictions. I mean, why would we? Why would we give that any? Goodness me! I can't. Yeah, I, can't I actually write. had New Zealand, Fiji as the final, so I'm fifty percent correct. Yeah, exactly. I'm now. I'm now <laughs> trying to wrap trying to wrap my brain to what I predicted. Charlie, you must have predicted South Africa, France. I'm guessing. Yeah, well, I no, no, that can't oh, be right. I can't remember South Africa. A, South year Africa a year ago, I I predicted South Africa England as the final. So I gaffed. Yeah, I mean, I was I was predicting a big a big England semi final performance, and then to get so to get the same final as last time. You I'll find it for you if you can wait. But I don't think I don't think we can wait. Can we? You predicted South Africa England a year ago. What is in not you? Uh, as in when when Steve Borthwick took the job? So just slightly less than the like slightly less than the year ago. Wow, that was that was quite bold. You were nearly you were not well. You weren't quite right, but you were nearly there. Um, uh, no, nearly right. Fifty percent, fifty percent counts apparently. I think I, I, the I do wonder about the clash of styles in in the weather, and it, and it's more that. South Africa will be desperate to lure New Zealand into that kind of kicking game. And it's not that New Zealand can't play that kicking game. They've got Mwanga and Barrett and Aaron Smith's box kicks. I just don't know if I just don't know if New Zealand want to play that way. I'll be I'll be interested to see how Colby and Arenzi get on in the air this week, having struggled a bit last week against May and, and Daly. If they're gonna have you know Will Jordan, who's essentially a fullback, sort of coming at them and, and Mark Talea's Pretty good in the air, pretty good over the ball at the breakdown. I, th- I think that's quite interesting. We've talked a bit about the scrum, and if South could get on top there, then potentially that could swing the game like it did last week. It's hard, actually, which hopefully means that we'll get an absolute belter of a final. But I would, I'm just maybe leaning towards South Africa because I feel like ruling South Africa off is is foolish based on based on the last couple of World Cups. But I wouldn't mind seeing a New Zealand win with Will Jordan getting a couple of tries to to set a record of ten tries in a World Cup tournament, which I'm I'm not sure will uh, I'm not sure will be beaten. So yeah, those are our predictions. Finals coming up on Saturday. Let's have some of your questions and then we'll get out of here. Okay, just finishing up with some uh, some questions and thoughts. Stephen Colmer, who messaged me, just for what we made of of England's kind of lack of use of, of George Ford, not just in the semi final but in the quarter final as well. Given that he he started the um, he started the tournament with those performances against Argentina and Japan, where he was so good, and then he's gone on to have only two minutes in the in the knockout stages. I just wondered what we maybe more of a longer term question because I, I I was doing a squad audit. Of, of kind of England's players yesterday trying to work out who's going to be back for for 2027 and who won't be and Ford's one of those interesting ones where you know he'll be 34 by 2027 which isn't too old by, by any means to be the World Cup but if Farrell's still there does he still want to be playing second fiddle to, to Farrell Charles I just wonder what you make of of this kind of situation that England have with, with Ford and Farrell which I feel like we've never spoken about before in the last decade of English rugby 
<laughs> I mean, I've, I've touched on it in this in this pod already. I mean, I think they they need to find a way of of, of playing them both. I mean, we know that that, that or, or at least being able to play them both because because we know that it, it it does has and can work. We know that Steve Borthwick tailors selections to specific bespoke selections to specific opposition. So there's not always going to be a case to start them both, or it might be a case of Ford starting or Farrell starting at 10. I think with a, with a, uh, a world-class 13 and a back three that is well-rounded with individual threats of their own, I think that Ford Farrell as a 10, 12 access works. And as, I've, as I said earlier on, I think that in hindsight, and I mean, I know that's a wonderful thing, and uh, and which which they wouldn't have had the benefit of last week. I think I would have gone Ford Farrell um, against South Africa if the game plan was literally to kick the leather off everything at every opportunity. Um, because in the end, you know, Joe Marchant didn't put a foot wrong uh, from what I can remember, and, and and his his work rate was excellent, and he was full of energy, but he didn't really have that much to do. So. There's not really. To, you might as well have had the, the dual kicking option and um, and just try and just take every single point that was on offer and maybe just try and get just that bit bit further ahead of South Africa when when the points were on offer. Charlie, anything to add on that? That's so difficult. It's so difficult. And it's a great question. And yeah, and in hindsight, that's it's a seriously ballsy move at the time, isn't it? To go, you, you did just feel though. I don't know. Am I? Am I? I can't remember whether I said this at the time. You guys will be able to kind of help me out, I think. But at 15-6, it did feel like they needed one more score, however they got however they got it. Um, and South Africa sort of... Among among all the replacements they made, they obviously kind of reinstated the, the spine of their backline by bringing on De Klerk, Pollard and, and LaRue. But what they also did was sacrifice Ibn Etzebeth, who's... Among their best players, they also took off Dwayne Vermeulen and Sia Khaleesi for Quagga Smith and Faree, and all of those all of those changes brought something. Snayman particularly was just colossal. Um, so yeah, at fifteen sixty, you think it, it felt like a sort of um, it felt like a last resort to throw on forward, didn't it? Well, it was it was a last resort to throw on forward when they needed to to get back ahead after that second penalty. Um, so difficult if you're proactive before that. You clearly South Africa South Africa were holding the ball for quite a long time, so you lose that little bit of steel defensively. Um so difficult. I thought I thought the way that Borthwick dealt with his with his replacements was really, really good. I don't think it was prescribed. I've seen it sort of mentioned as prescribed, but actually I think he 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 did really well in that regard. And he, if he's doing that so early in his in his career as a as a test head coach, I think it bodes really well for England. Do you think George Martin had a knock? Did we, did we get to the bottom of this? Was it was it just that he was he was knackered? Because that was the one, wasn't it? I mean, we've already touched on it earlier in the pod. That was the one where we were a bit like, really, is that he, he, is that the right call? He he he'd been a physio had come on for him to have a look yeah. at him. Said afterwards that he was fine. He's a young guy who isn't used to going eighty minutes in test matches. That's just a fact. So. I imagine he was goosed and he'd absolutely he'd absolutely emptied himself, hasn't hasn't had any and he's I mean, by the you'd hope for England's sake that by the twenty twenty seven World Cup he'll be playing eighty minutes regularly. His knee was strapped up, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it always is. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> how how have we got this far into it without um saying who's gonna win the bronze final on 
on Friday. Charles, you want it to oh, be yeah, abolished. Because... So yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I just think after that, after the the how deep into the well emotionally and physically England had to go. Um, I think now it just it just seems. I'm not I'm not saying this because we're we're an English paper and it's got nothing to do with that I, I'd have been saying the same if it was a South Africa Argentina uh, bronze final um, I, I just think it's a pointless game in the era of player welfare to be playing a one-off meaningless match that nobody before the tournament wants to play in nobody they'd all said um, no we've got no interest in it and I think England deep down will be feeling that this week too and now in the context of the tournament they ironically have to come up against an Argentina team who are desperate to play in this game and bloodthirsty for pool stage revenge um, they're you know keen to right the wrongs of their semi-final and 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 it, you know, it, and and they haven't been good. The Pumas haven't been good in this tournament, and yet we could be in a scenario whereby England are going to get blindsided on Friday night against the team who are treating it as their World Cup final, and Argentina finish third. Pool D, the worst pool in maybe in World Cup history, is going to provide the third and fourth place players. Uh, sorry, teams in this in this World Cup. It's Let quite, that sink it's quite, in. It's quite fitting, isn't it? Paul D, Paul D taking the uh, the spotlight on Friday night. Charlie, who's going to win? I think England again. Um, although I think it's going to be closer than the the first game, and I think Argentina will be Argentina have real reason to be up for it because of how poor they were in that first game, and and then again how poor they were in this in or how overwhelmed they were. Sorry, in the, in the semi final, the noises we're getting out of England are encouraging because I think they really need to win to. Um, consolidate the goodwill that they've earned from that first performance. Uh, sorry for that, from the semi-final performance, and the noises that the noises from Steve Borthwick suggest that, and you wouldn't expect any differently from him um, to to kind of finish on a high. I think in doing so, he'll want to give some um, some veterans a, a farewell, and he might want to reward guys who who've been rotated mainly out of the squad. Um, so yeah, I can I can see see England edging it. I always think of third fourth playoffs. So I always think of when um, Phil Neville was Lioness's manager, just just basically bringing a press conference to silence by calling it a nonsense game, and it just <laughs> it just was a, just was really sort of aggressively aggressively savage the game pre kickoff, not even after the game. It's brilliant. Um, I think we all sort of know it's a bit of a nonsense, don't we? But I think. Um, I think both sides want to win it, and I think England do. Yeah, I mean, all I know is that Argentina are bang up for it, as they uh, as they reiterated on Friday night. And Thomas Cayo even said, "I'd like to face England again." Thomas, your wish is granted. Um, yeah, still think England win though, and it might be a nice farewell for many players like Courtney Laws and others who've given lots of years of, of excellent service. So yeah, hopefully, uh, just please entertain us and don't be as, as weird as the England Argentina game in Marseille. I think that's the only wish that we can really have. Right, that's it for today. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, Charles. It's Rugby World Cup final week. We we made it. Absolutely delighted. Um, thanks for listening to the podcast and for downloading it and a reminder to check out all of our coverage on the website this week. Loads of build-up towards Friday's game between Argentina and England and towards the final as well. And then we'll be back next week for the final episode of the series, reflecting on the tournament, handing out some awards, looking back on the final as well. But until then, from all three of us, thank you and goodbye.